How many of you are um, keen to just keep worshiping? Some of you, okay, great. Yeah, there's some of you who enjoyed it, Marinus, yeah. Um, it really is an honor for me to preach this morning. Really good to visit, to be in the morning service um, and see a lot of really cool faces, some of really cool beards, right? Um, uh, yeah, go base. Now, um, I'm going to try and get into the Word quite quickly, and I'll share with you a little bit why. Um, I went to bed around about 10 o'clock last night, and um, yeah, lucky me. Yeah, my time is coming, don't worry. <laughs> but, um, so, but I was still preparing just the Word, and how my mind works is as long as there's stuff inside of it, it doesn't want to shut down. So what I'll do is um, put my earphones in and then I'll, I'll listen to music. And um, Spotify and Apple Music probably has the same thing that you just type in like revival and then it gives me a playlist. So I was listening to revival music. That definitely didn't help me falling asleep. Um, so about an hour and a half, maybe even two hours of lying in bed and just communicating with God as I'm listening to music, I felt God telling me to get up and to pray. Um, and this was still about maybe four o'clock this morning. And um, what I want to share with us is we're, we're in the theme of revival. Whom of you have ever been alive in revival? That you've seen revival? Whom of you have a longing for Revival. We might raise our hands, but we don't even know what we mean. We say, yes, Lord, send revival. What do you mean? When we ask God to bring revival, what do we actually want Him to do? Um, and if, if we look at some of the revival stories in history, it speaks about a move of God, an undeniable move of God, where some of the stories would be, we would be having church, and someone would be driving past the venue, no one inviting them, and as they drive past, they would just pull off the road and say, I don't know why, but I need to go to church right now, and they would just start repenting. And then the fruit of revival would lead into communities being changed, marriages being restored, lives being transformed, because God showed up in a miraculous way. Now, there are three things about revival that when we ask God to do it, we need to understand that God does it, um, and God is not manipulated. Um, there's a song called God of Revival, and whom of you know that when you sing that song, then revival comes, because that's how God works? No. <laughs> it's a really good song. I was listening to it. That was one of the songs on the playlist, and this morning I woke up with it. Um, but that's not how revival works. There's not revival prayers, and if you pray these 10 prayers, then bloop, You've got the secret code, and then revival unlocks, and then God pours out His Spirit. No, God brings about revival when He wants to. Um, but you and I get to participate with what God's plans are. Um, so, and uh, in Isaiah 11 that we spoke about last week, we see the Spirit of God ascending upon us, this messianic scripture about Jesus coming, and how He will be filled with the wisdom and the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and then we see the effects of His rulership in creation, where the lamb and the lion will be best friends, like um, a little bit of Lion King in there, right? And, but it gives us this impossible picture 
of what can be redeemed, what can be restored, almost like to the extreme extent, like those two people sitting around the same campfire, having a conversation, impossible. No, in Christ it's possible. So it gives us this, it sets us up to anticipate, to expect something from God that is humanly impossible. But there are three keys to revival. And the first one is that revival is a supernatural act of God. It's not by the will of man. It's not by the persistence of man. It's a supernatural act of God, not by the strength or will or power of man. And all of us should cry out and say, hallelujah, because we do not do enough to warrant revival. I hope we get that. Our lives are not holy enough to warrant that God should bring about revival. Revival is in accordance with God's sovereign will, not ours. So when we position our lives for revival, we're saying, Lord, we want your kingdom to come even at the expense of mine. We want your will to be done even at the cost of mine. Revival is in accordance with God's sovereign will. And then during revival, and this should excite us. Are you guys excited? Because it's on the board. I realize now it's already there. There's no anticipation and suspense building. You guys are already in the next slide. Um, this should excite us. Sit on the front edge of your seat to the point where you are close to falling off. Okay? Revival is when the supernatural invades the natural and we see miracles happen. What is impossible for our God? What is impossible for our God? I hope there are some impossibilities in your life, in your relationships, in your workplace, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your country. I hope there are some impossibilities. I was really faced with an impossibility when we went to stage four again. It fe some of the things feels like an impossibility. And I promise you, when God brings about revival, He's not thinking about ESCOM having power. It's greater than that. But when revival comes, it's the supernatural invading the natural and miracles take place. Things that the natural mind cannot explain, supernatural phenomenon takes place. Three things I want us to remember from this morning. The first one is revival requires a revelation of who God is. Revival requires a revelation of of who God is. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now today we're going to focus on God the Father, next week God the Son, and the following week God the Holy Spirit. But revival requires a revelation of who God is. Those of you who are in a connect group, you will know that the first chapter in the one-to-one -one is called God, a new understanding because our lives need to get in alignment with who God is. God doesn't come in alignment with who we are or who we think He is. But for revival to even be a possibility, there needs to be a revelation of God. And when we delve into the Father heart of God, we'll see, so obviously the pinnacle of our faith is the cross of Jesus Christ. But who sent the Son? It was the Father. By whose will was the Son raised? By the will of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In John 14, Jesus says, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, but the Father is the vine dresser. He is the one who prunes, who cuts away, who molds, who shapes. In John 17, Jesus prays this prayer and says, Father, I have done the work that you have called me to do, and I've given this very same work to your disciples. And now, Father, I pray that they will be one as we are one. There's something about Jesus' relationship with the Father that He wills us to have. And we need to understand that revival is initiated by the heart of the Father. Jesus says that no one can come to the Father except through me. Christ says that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So the Father is the initiator of revival, and it is His desire to bring about revival on the earth, not just in our lives. The Bible says that all of creation longs for the sons of God to arise, that creation longs for revival. And God's heart, the Father's heart, is to pour out revival upon the earth. Last week, Andre said that the, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, is the physical enactment of revival. So if you want to know what revival should look like, look at the ministry of Jesus. And then the disciples that were walking with Jesus, they've seen some of these things, and they have this opportunity to ask Him for anything. What did they ask Him in Matthew 6? Lord, teach us to pray. There's something about your relationship with the Father when you pray that we want. And I'll quickly take us through it. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, set apart be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You see, there's a revelation of the Father. Where Jesus leads us into prayer, He says, um, Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Separate, different, set apart be your name. Above every other name, God is your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, from a perspective where we place you in your rightful position, we are placed automatically in our rightful position, subject to God. Not on the same level as God. There's this paradox in Scripture where we, are, we get to be called friends of God, but, oh, friends of God, do not become familiar with God. We are not on the same level as God. Some teachings tell us that we get to transcend into the same type of reality as, um, or the same level as Christ. You are not God. God is God. His name is holy. And from that perspective, we say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Move, shake, shape whatever you need to do so that your kingdom can come into my life because my life is subject to God, the Creator. Give us this day our daily bread. It reveals to us the heart of the Father to care and to provide. Jesus says, that we remember that when you pray, that the Father already knows what you need even before you've uttered a word. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we are dependent on you. Again, when God is in His rightful place, you are dependent on God for your provision. 
You might think that you provide for yourself because you work really hard during the week. It's by the grace of God. God is our source. And in our rightful position, subject to God, we are dependent on Him for our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a key to understanding the forgiveness of God for ourselves when we walk in forgiveness towards another person. By the extent that you forgive others, will you yourself experience the forgiveness of the Father? Even though when Jesus died on the cross, the fullness of forgiveness was made available, when you withhold forgiveness from someone else, you will not live in the freedom of forgiveness with God. Expect a resistance between you and the Father because you are withholding something that He has given you freely. But as you step out and you forgive, you reconcile, you make right in relationships, you will experience a right-making on your relationship with the Father. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I love the fact that we can have confidence that God's heart is not for you and I to be led into temptation. That His heart for you is not to be wronged in any way. That His heart for you is not to be harmed in any way. How do we have confidence that God is for us and not against us? Because He sent His Son. Lord, lead us not into temptation. The blood of Christ is our key out of every temptation. The victory of Jesus on the cross is our victory out of every temptation. The will of the Father is not to harm us. And for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We need to have an understanding of who God is. A revelation of God puts us in our right place where we are not God. We are dependent on Him and we are subject to Him. Then the second point, the promise of revival. This is the scripture that I woke up with at two o'clock this morning. <laughs> So it wasn't in the original notes. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14. Most of you have um, seen this somewhere. There was a, um, a big move a couple of years back. SA turned back to God. And part of this was part of that whole unction that SA, let's turn back to God. And Second Chronicles 7 14. So in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of rebellion and um, a disobedience. This is God's command or the, God's invitation. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. There's this promise that God gives us from Scripture that He will hear from heaven. Friends, that's good news. That God says your prayers will not be in vain. Your prayers will not remain unanswered. Your labor in prayer will not be for nothing. That I, the God of creation, will hear from heaven. And I will forgive and cleanse the sin. I will forgive and I will cleanse your sin. Again, that is good news for all of creation, including you and me that are here present this morning. Because you and I need God to cleanse us from our sin, to cleanse us from our disobedience, to cleanse us from our rebellion, to cleanse us from our stubbornness. 
We need God to do that because I have never read of an article where someone who had a heart problem gave themselves open heart surgery. No, the sinner cannot save himself. The one who is still lost in sin needs someone on the outside to enter in to do a work that he himself cannot do. We are dependent on God being the Savior, but for Him to be the Savior, we have to relinquish our desire to save ourselves. And then He will bring healing over the land. What an invitation. I will hear from heaven. I will cleanse and forgive your sin, and I will bring healing over the land. If we think about our nation, South Africa, is there something in your heart that desires God to bring healing? Is there something in your heart that desires to, to work to, by a move of His Spirit to bring healing over our land? We need to understand that when we pray for revival, when we seek and we pray as we're doing throughout this series, but also through the rest of our lives until Jesus comes back, we need to understand that when we ask God to bring revival, we are not doing it as every nation. God is not so much concerned about every nation, friends. You might be in an every nation church now, and I'm really thankful that I get to be part of this family of churches. God is not so much concerned about every nation as He is about His kingdom to come. And when God desires revival to come, the work that God desires to do is too great for one church it's too great for one church movement. When the God the Father brings about unity, we often speak about um, by our love for one another, the world will know that we are His disciples. And we say, church, every nation, I felt, by our love for one another, the world will know. Imagine by the love that we as Christians among different churches get to have for one another. What a testimony that will be to the power of God. When God desires to bring revival, there will be a unity among churches and Christians. If God desires to bring you, um, revival in Centurion, you better but believe that God is awakening other churches as well. He's not so much concerned about us, even though who we are and what we do is important. Now, if God desires to bring revival... And revival is good because it restores things to a way it should be. Why would we not want it? Anyone here who would not want revival to come in their life? You shake your heads, but let me give you the cost of revival. And then you might change your mind. He says in the scripture, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Pride is in opposition to the grace of God. If you will humble yourself, if you will acknowledge that you are not God, if you will relinquish your desire to be God of your own life, relinquish your desire to be in control of your own life, relinquish your need to be self-sufficient, your need to provide for yourself, your need to be independent, that we will humble ourselves before God, our Creator, that we will seek His face, that we will um, desire a greater revelation of who God is in our personal lives, that we will set ourselves to seek His face. Now, friends, you can come to church on a Sunday, 
But that will not birth in you a deeper revelation of God. That is done when you go home and you close the, uh, the door for prayer. You close the door of your busy um, work schedule. You close the door of your fears. You close the door of your financial worries. You close the door of sin. You close the door of complacency. You, co- you close the door of whatever it might be, and you set yourself to seek the face of God. And when you diligently seek the Lord... He will reveal Himself to you. That is His promise. We humble ourselves, we seek His face, and we repent. We turn from our evil ways. We stop doing the very things that is in contrast to that of the Holy Spirit that abides in a believer, and we turn towards the things of God. Do not ask God to bring about revival if you are not willing to repent. It will not happen. God is desiring to create in us new vessels so that new wine can come in, so that there can be a fresh outpouring of His Spirit over our own lives, our own families, over our nation. We humble ourselves before God. We seek His face and we repent. What keeps us away? Worldliness. These are things that will keep you from humbling yourself seeking His face and repenting, worldliness, loving the things of this world. In the book of Revelation, it says that by um, the, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, we overcome the evil one, and by not loving our lives even unto death. A love for the things of this world will keep you away from a desire for revival. Comfort. We, we can become comfortable in where we are, and God has established us in a place where I'm okay, and I can, in a sense, separate myself from what's really happening in the real world. Driving home the other day, um, drove into our complex, and um, I was made aware of two things. The one is how safe I feel in the area that I live, um, but in that way also how I am a little bit... Um, separated from what is really real in our nation. That was the one side. But on the other side, I was awakened to the incredible opportunity God has given us in our estates and complexes where we live because these people live where you live. (laughs) They're there. So there's a space of, of comfort. And when we ask God to bring about revival... His Spirit might lead you out of your comfort to do things you've never done before, to go where you've maybe never gone before, to trust for things that you've never trusted before. And sometimes we don't want to. Self-sufficiency, we think we're okay. I'm a Christian, and I go to church, and I'm a good Christian, and I try not to harm people too much, but I'm actually not that bad. And in a way, yes, I need Jesus, Um, But in many areas of my life, I'm actually doing okay. Um, There's an element of arrogance connected to that, where I'm self-sufficient in my own life. Laziness. (laughs) I wrote this down while God was speaking to me. All right, so just know that as I'm saying these things, I'm hearing them. (laughs) Laziness. 
Sometimes you know that the Spirit of God is calling you to stand up early and to pray, but you just don't want to. You want to sleep in. <laughs> you want to watch another series. You know that you've made an appointment with God tomorrow morning, but then for that appointment to be kept, you need to go to bed right now, but you don't really want to. You're busy watching something, and it's really nice, and you get into your bed, and you take out your phone, and you do this. And it takes longer for your mind to switch off from this. And then we wonder why we miss appointments with God. And then the last one is a lack of love. And this one is maybe the hardest. Friends, sometimes we don't really want God to bring about revival because we don't really love Him as much as we often sing on a Sunday. And we don't really love the world. We say we do, but if we were to look at our time schedules, what we give our lives to, is it really evident that we live for something greater than ourselves? Sometimes it's just plainly a lack of love that keeps us from asking God to bring about revival. Isaiah 11, 2-3, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, speaking about Jesus, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Friends, if you and I will ask God for a greater revelation of the knowledge and the fear of God in our hearts, something in you will shift. Something in you will be drawn towards something else. That there will be something in you where you, when you are um, weighed down by the fear of God and not being afraid of God in the sense that He's going to smite you. Jesus took the smiting. You need to remember that. But there's a healthy fear of God. You are not God. I am not God. And with that reverence, that awe of who God is, is alive in our hearts, I promise you it will keep you away from sin. Those things in our lives that we entertain, those things that we go to and we think, oh, it's not that bad, it's not really harming anyone, it's only this one time, or I was just really tired, maybe it's just um, something that helps me to let go of steam from the day. Those things that we substitute God's presence with for a moment, when the fear of God is alive in your heart, you will be gripped by His presence. You will be gripped by His presence, and He will not lead you into temptation. I came upon an article that basically gave this explanation for revival. It says, In the history of the church, the term revival in its most biblical sense has meant a sovereign, sovereign work of God in which the whole region of many churches, many Christians, has been lifted out of spiritual indifference and worldliness into conviction of sin, earnest desires for more of Christ and His Word, boldness in witness, purity of life, Lots of conversions, joyful worship, renewed commitment to missions. You feel God has moved here. I'm going to read that again, but now I want you to think about the city, and I want you to think about your neighborhood, where you live, where you put your feet on the ground. 
a sovereign work of God in which the whole region of many churches, many Christians has been lifted out of spiritual indifference. What would it look like in our communities if there's not a spiritual indifference and um, out of worldliness into conviction of sin, earnest desires for more of Christ and His Word, boldness in witness, purity of life, lots of conversions, joyful worship, renewed commitment to missions, you feel God has moved here. Friends, I have a desire in my heart for God to bring about revival upon the earth. Driving here this morning, I was like just driving past a couple of people walking around in the Highfield area and just thinking, God, what would it look like? What, just trying to imagine, what would it look like if revival was to break out? What would it look like if God was to just pour out His Spirit in a supernatural act of God by His will, His desire, and He just descends upon people? What would happen to people's relationships? What would happen to our marriages? What would happen to our schools, to our government officials, if there's true revival breaking out? Some of you long for some of that. It continues to say, and basically revival then is God doing among many Christians at the same time or in the same region usually what He is doing all the time in individual Christians' lives as we get saved and individually renewed around the world. <laughs> so revival is not different to when God brings about revival in Herod's life. When Herod had an encounter with God, and he made a commitment to give himself over to Christ. Revival, a supernatural act of God. The greatest miracle took place within this man's life when he became born again. And he was transitioned from a sinful nature into a new nature the um, in the image of God. A new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So revival took place in this man's life. And in the same way, something happened to the way that he would lead his family. Something happened to the way that he would treat his wife. Something happened in the way that he would run his business. Something happened in the way that he would treat his neighbor. And that's just one man. When God awakens one man, this man has the ability to awaken another and another. And in this way, God awakens a town. But every now and then, God decides to pour out His Spirit in a move of God where there is miraculous awakenings happening all over the city at the same time. And you have this tsunami of awakenings that floods a city, that floods a neighborhood. Psalm 85 or 6, we prayed into it this morning as well. Friends, if we want revival to come in our nation, we need to be desperate for God to bring about revival in here, in our own hearts. And this is our cry. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? We need to be revived, friends. Our hearts need to be continually revived because we forget. We become busy. We get busy with other things, and they're not necessarily bad things, but they take priority over the things of God. We become too busy to be part of discipleship. As a church, we are a disciple-making church. What does that mean? 
we have a desire for lost people to get saved and to see them grow into maturity so that they will make it until the end when they stand before Jesus and give an account for their lives. That's why we do connect groups. How can you ever be too busy for that? How can we ever be too busy to be part of God's kingdom plan to see the lost being saved and see them grow up in maturity so that their names will be written in the book of life? Sometimes we forget, and we need God to revive our hearts again, to say, Lord, let me not forget my first love. Let me not walk away from the thing that I've given myself to, that I've pledged myself to when I gave myself over to you. So as we pray and trust God for revival in our own lives, revival is a supernatural work of God. Friends, this should bring hope into your heart right now. Doesn't matter where you find yourself spiritually, revival is a supernatural work of God. He can do it in your life. There is no, um, in that, that song, God, God of Revival, it says that there's um, no mountain that he cannot move. There's no shadow that he can't um, light up, no darkness that he cannot light up, something like that. Because it is a supernatural act of God, he does not need much from you. He needs you to be humble. He needs you to seek his face. He needs you to be willing to repent. Revival is in accordance with God's sovereign will for your life. When we ask God to bring about revival, be ready for him to move his will into your life. And that might look different than what your will is currently, but allow him to shape it because his will for you is good. His plans and his purposes for your life are good. And during revival, the supernatural invades the natural and we see miracles taking place. Because God is the God of revival, there is the possibility of miracles in your life. I hope you have some impossibilities in your life that you are trusting God to come and do. I hope there are some things that you say, this is impossible for man, but it's possible for God. I hope there are some relationships that you are trusting God to restore, that you say it is impossible for, for man that this should be restored, but God, with you, nothing is impossible I hope there's some breakthroughs that you are trusting God for, whether it's financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, that you say, for man, this is impossible, but God, nothing is impossible for you. That God will set our hearts for revival in our lives. And I promise you, friends, as God awakens you, you will awaken another and another. And in that way, God will awaken a city. And we'll see His kingdom come. I want us to watch a, a short video and then we'll conclude. And, um, and, I, and I want you to set your heart to say, Lord, would you come and stir, not a hunger for revival, because we can miss it, friends. We can chase revival, a hunger for God. That God would stir in us a hunger for himself. Let's quickly watch this video. United States, 1857. Slavery, rebellion, rumors of war. In three years, Americans would turn on each other and make history. But in 1857 New York City, history 
the kind textbooks don't mention was already happening. The date was September 23rd. A Christian layman named Jeremiah Lamphere held his first ever businessman's prayer meeting in Lower Manhattan. It was not, by all accounts, a rousing success. He passed out flyers for weeks. Six men attended. Two weeks later, the stock market crashed. Thousands of families lost all they had, and one of the greatest spiritual awakenings the world has ever seen began. Week by week, Jeremiah Lamphere's tiny lunch hour prayer meeting grew larger and larger. By December, his six men had become 10,000 men, and they met not every week, but every day. The New York newspapers took notice, and when word spread to other cities, spontaneous revival broke out across the country. In Cleveland and St. Louis, thousands of people packed downtown churches and theaters three times each day just to pray. In Chicago, churches had to have waiting lists for people wanting to teach Sunday school. And all across America, pastors were baptizing 20,000 new believers every week. The revival eventually spread around the world. In England, entire towns were converted. Some towns disbanded their police force because of a lack of crime. And so many people came to Christ, churches had to hold services outside just to accommodate the crowds. The world had seen nothing like it before or since. Global revival. God started it with one man. It changed the course of history. And now, in today's world, people need to know, can history repeat itself? Can it happen again? I think that's the question on our hearts is, can it happen again? And, uh, and, and I, I think it comes down to something as simple as, is there in this room those who are willing to give themselves to pray? When we pray that prayer in Matthew 6, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is my duty, and I'm speaking for myself as Yaku, that I need to, I need to find my part to play in that. Lord, what, is it, what do you want me to do for your kingdom to come? What is the part that you've called me to play? And that is my duty. That is um, my response to him being my Lord and my Savior, is to find out what is my part to play in his kingdom that is coming. But the one thing that we are all called to is to pray, that we will give ourselves to pray. And, and I think as we continue for the next couple of weeks as well, this is my prayer for us as a church, that God will place on us a spirit of prayer. And this is the invitation, that if you would yield yourself to God, you will see God work in your life in miraculous ways. You will see God give you a strength to endure in prayer. Um, I shared with um, my wife the other day that um, I, I sometimes get frustrated or discouraged um, when it comes to evangelism, when there's specific people that I'm trusting for and I don't see the fruit. Anyone else gets frustrated or discouraged when you don't see fruit and you've labored? Um, you know what is really great? When, um, let's say, someone is positioned here and you're trusting them to grow closer to God, and there's like one step this way, and like, yes, Lord, I'm so thankful for that. And then a couple of weeks later, they're not even on the stage anymore. They're, this, they're somewhere here, 
and it's like, what happened, God? And I'm tempted to stop praying. There's things that God has burdened you with that you are tempted to stop praying for. There are things that you need to start praying for. And this is the rally cry for us as a church. Will we join one another to pray together because I get tired? Marinus and Catherine get tired. The elders get tired. We need to rally around one another so that we will not stop praying and trusting God to do what only He can do. A practical way for you to respond this morning is to go to highfelder.online forward slash pray and join our WhatsApp prayer group. That's maybe one of the easiest ways for you to say, okay, Lord, I'm signing up to pray because this house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. So says the Lord. Let's pray. Won't you just, where you are sitting right now, just take a moment and respond to God. When we say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, ask Him to show you where it needs to come in your own life, where priorities need to be realigned, where things to be, need to be cut off. Is there a place where God is calling you to humble yourself, to set yourself to seek His face? Is there a place where God is calling you to repent? If you know there's specific things that you need to repent of this morning, why don't you just quickly raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to share it. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I just want you to acknowledge that God is speaking to you this morning. Won't you make right with God right now? Lord, I pray that as we respond to the work that you are doing in us, would you release a grace over us, Lord, that enables us to say no to sin and yes to godliness? Jesus, you are our victory over sin, and you do not lead us into temptation. And as we bring these things to you this morning, Lord, we pray that you, by your power, would break the stronghold of sin over our lives, pull us out of our complacency, Pull us out of our spiritual indifference, Lord. Set our hearts to seek you. Some of you have specific people this morning that you know God has called you to minister to, to reach out to. Just raise your hand. There's someone that is on your heart. As we've been preaching this morning, certain people have been placed on your heart. Just raise your hand. Again, I'm not going to ask you to stand or do something. I just want you to acknowledge that God has spoken to you. Father, I thank you for the immense privilege that you choose to partner with us. You call us to partner with you, Lord, with something as incredible as seeing people's lives transformed. And now, Lord, I ask that you would keep us accountable by your Spirit and that you would place people around us to keep us accountable, that we would not let go of this task of reaching the lost. Help us to press in in prayer. Give us spiritual insight and wisdom, Lord. And help us to open up our homes for those who are lost. Help us to open up our lives for those who need you. 
who need to experience practically what the love of God looks like. We ask, Lord, as we sang earlier, would you pour your spirit out over our lives? Would you fall afresh on us? Holy Spirit, fill us up. Send us out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Yaki. Yaku, Yaki, Yaki, Yaku, Yaku. <laughs> Such a good message. Appreciate you. Thank you, family. Enjoy the Sunday. Uh, there's still coffee um, that you can have afterwards and uh, enjoy some fellowship and bless you all. Thank you for joining us this morning. sake you gave your son to die adopted us from darkness into light now I am safe within your loving arms and I can hear the yearning of your heart for the love Make our hearts beat and beat and beat for those sons and daughters. For the love to beat to beat, we can give it calling. Make our hearts beat and beat and beat and beat with you. Strong.